No one ever saw this coming, but here we are, bonded forever by the same ex-husband. Once arch enemies and now partners in crime, we journey to the edge of sanity to uncover the dark truth about our ex-husband. My name is Athena. And I'm Amber. And we are the creators of Ex-Wives Undercover. This podcast is based on real-life events that are portrayed to the best of Athena and Amber's memory and also backed by court records and other factual evidence. While all the stories in the podcast are true, some names and identifying details have been changed to protect the privacy of the people involved. All right, girl. You ready to do this? Let's do it. Season 1, Episode 9, No More Tears. Right after I took my house off the market, it felt like the world had turned upside down. The economy had crashed and so many people were suffering. I felt grateful that I still had a roof over my head. Ben was following through with every promise he had made to Lexus and I. It actually felt like a fairy tale. After a month of proving himself, we were officially back together again. I was glad to have someone to count on during those times. At the end of July, Ben had rented a room from a friend. I felt it was best he stay there while he proved himself, although Ben still continued to spend most nights and weekends at my home. Right before our big blowout in June, I had left my job to pursue my own company. Needless to say, Ben's gift of persuasion was like a superpower. I was growing my company and happy I was able to create my own schedule. Once mid-October had arrived, I had officially run out of my savings. I was bringing in money, but it was half of what I used to make. Jen's rent money was extremely helpful, but I definitely needed Ben to step in and help me now. With the way my client base was growing, it looked like I would be financially sound again within the next four to six months. The time had finally come to let Ben know that I was going to need him to financially step in now. Although he had reassured me over and over again, my pride was still having a hard time bringing up the conversation. During dinner one evening, I explained to Ben how my company had grown and I was making some gains finally. I then explained that from July through September, I had spent all my savings to keep Lexus and I afloat. Ben just nodded his head while I spoke with no mention of him helping me. I then told him the average dollar amount that I was short on to make ends meet every month. Ben offers me advice and says that I should ask to push out a few car payments due to hardship. He then tells me about a refinance option for my mortgage that he had been hearing a lot about. President Obama had created a HARP refinance program for those who were losing their homes or suffering from the massive spike in mortgage payments. Although those were all good suggestions, I was still waiting for Ben to reassure me that he was going to help. We made it through dinner and I started to sense that Ben was purposefully avoiding offering money to help me. And what we discussed in the last chapter, and he's done this to me too, is promise you the world saying, oh, I will help you financially and we're a family and we're gonna be married and blah, blah, blah. So he paints the picture and he acts like he's gonna help you financially. I had gone through most of my savings and then I realized that, okay, this is gonna be the moment where I actually have to really say those words. But he knew I was freaked out, I was frightened because it was so scary to trust somebody and put that much trust in somebody who'd already deceived me and lied. So I was very nervous. So yeah, he put me in a shitty position. I started to get nervous and my adrenaline started kicking in. Thoughts were racing through my mind. Was he going to help me? Am I just reading into this and getting all worked up for no reason? I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt, but I knew Ben well enough to know that something was up. I 
put my pride aside and I just blatantly asked him for the dollar amount I would need for that month. He looked at me and he chuckled and he said, wait, what? I offered that to you a while ago and I honestly didn't think you would actually leave your job. I could feel my face getting warm and my fingers start to tingle. I tried to rein in my anger so that my response back to him would sound calm. I'm not sure if you have forgotten, but you begged and pleaded to help me financially so I could start my own company. Not to mention you demanded that I let you help me while we were at Snoqualmie Falls. Ben goes on to tell me that because I hadn't asked for any money the few months following that conversation, he thought I didn't need his help anymore. Ben tells me how he had spent a large sum of money on his vehicle and getting into the place he was living. I wanted to cry. I started to panic. He was so full of shit. I'm in a situation now where I'm taking any little bit I can get from him and just trying to get on my feet. So even staying with him, like he would take us out to the restaurant. While we were always together, he'd always pay for things. So he'd bring home food or dinner or, you know, he'd pick stuff up and that was yeah. his way of helping. And I just kept the fake smile going. I'm sure there was definitely a codependency issue I was obviously going through. It was a blend of the two for sure. I definitely had a plan. I definitely knew that I just needed to get on my feet. And if I was in a different financial situation, I wouldn't have, he would not have how been long? Around. How long would you say between the time the Snow Call Me Fall thing happened and where you in your head, you're like, God, no, this is not, you know, this is not two gonna months. work. How, two months. He was on okay. his best behavior for a month. And then that was probably all like August to September-ish. And then by the time we move into October, mid-October is when I ask him about the money. And that's when he is completely giving me the fake story. And I know I've said this before about things being embedded in my brain. I have certain things that I will never forget. And I'm not good at always like paraphrasing, but he said this to me, he said, he laughed and goes, I didn't think you'd really leave your job. I can totally see him saying that. You didn't oh, think I'd my really God. leave my fucking, you pressured me into leaving my job daily, regularly about what I could do, yeah. how great this could be, do it. I, I got your back. But he, he doesn't. He like could have fucking done like a slideshow. You know what I mean? Like a pre full on presentation, like right. about what I could do. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and it never man. ended. It never ended all the way until, like I said, a few weeks before I actually asked him for the money. And that money that was going out now, looking back, um, I went back and looked at his criminal history and his his stuff. He had a DUI that he was going to court on, hiding it oh. from me. So he was oh. probably paying out that money yeah. for a court shit. We spoke about him helping me two weeks prior. I told him that I was going to create a spreadsheet of my bills so that I would know the exact amount I would need from him. He knew without a doubt that I was counting on him. Plus, even if he wasn't going to help me anymore because he was going to spend a chunk of money elsewhere, you'd think that he would have mentioned that to me then. I told him I was upset and it was best that he go to his own place that night. I needed to figure out what the fuck I was going to do now. I was officially living off my service commission and tips from day to day. Many days, I didn't even have enough money for Lexus to eat lunch at school. I didn't want to scare her, so I tried to hide as much as I could from her. One morning, she came down and saw me fiercely tearing up the couch and going through the coat closet. She asked me if she could help me look for whatever it was I had lost. The truth was, I was looking for any change or money I could find in the pockets of the jackets and in the couch cushions. I came clean with Lexus about what I was doing and she started to join in. You should have seen our faces when we would find quarters or any coins really. It was pure excitement. 
No matter what I had to do, I was going to make sure my daughter had food for every single meal. While doing laundry one afternoon, I came across one of Ben's paycheck stubs in his jeans pocket. That asshole was making three times more on each two-week paycheck than I was when I was working at my old job. Even if he had spent a chunk of his saved money, he was still bringing in thousands of dollars. Him letting us live like that just created more and more resentment towards Ben. He set me up to be financially dependent on him, but then didn't help me. He just let yes. me crash and burn. Well, I know and, that, other... and that breaks a person down and breaks down their them emotionally. It's a way of control, obviously. I don't even know if he realized he, what he was doing subconsciously. He'd often come over after work and bring dinner home to us. I knew I couldn't afford to buy a lot of groceries, so I kept my mouth shut and I took his handouts. During dinner, Lexus mentioned our new treasure hunt game to Ben. He asked what she meant by that, and so Lexus told him about how he searched for pocket change all throughout the house and my car so that we could buy food. Ben's eyes widened. He then had the nerve to ask me why I didn't just ask him for a few bucks. From the stories that he would give me before, it was almost threatening to him that I had my own home, that I had a job, that I was so independent, and I didn't need him. And even at the very end of our relationship, he told me that. He said, Athena, you never needed me. Never needed me. You could take care of yourself financially. You could fix things around the house. Mm -hmm. You never really made me feel like you needed me anyway. I'm like, okay, dude, that's because you're a lazy piece of... I would soon get back to the money I used to make and never have to rely on another man again. November arrives and although I have been under a huge amount of stress, I realized I hadn't gotten my period. I couldn't even afford to waste money on a pregnancy test at this point. Another week passes and I'm starting to freak out. Although Ben begged and pleaded for us to be together, have a baby and get married just a few months ago, I absolutely did not want that with him. I finally decided to tell Ben that I missed my period and asked him to pick up a pregnancy test. Ben came over that evening. I went into the bathroom right away to take the test. Ben stood outside of the door. And as I sat there on the toilet, undies down around my ankles, I prayed. I asked God to please not give me anything that I couldn't handle right now. After having the two miscarriages, I was scared shitless to be pregnant again. I knew that a child with Ben would tie us together for the rest of our lives. I also knew that Ben was not the man I was supposed to be with. What Ben and I had wasn't love. It couldn't be. Shane and I had been in love and I knew what that had felt like. You trusted him when he says, I want to be married. I want to have children with you. We had two miscarriages before. Let's make this one happen. Like we're in this together. So the whole it was month like, we got, we yes. he was working on it. I love you. It was yeah. amazing. It was a fairy yeah. tale. So if I'm off birth control, then who cares? I started to cry and then laugh. Two lines. I was pregnant again. There wasn't going to be any fun and exciting reveal to tell Ben, you're going to be a daddy. I knew he could probably care less. In fact, he would probably freak out on me again. And although I didn't get experience that with Ben, it was one of the worst experiences actually. I thankfully met my amazing husband and I got to surprise him at dinner at one evening. I know you guys can't see this video, so I'm gonna give you a little heads up how my gender reveal to my husband goes down. I take him out to a restaurant. It's right around Valentine's Day. I give him a gift and it is all done up very masculine and blue and silver. And But inside is a pink Seahawks onesie to reveal that our second child is going to be a girl. Take a listen. 
Open it. What do you think that means? Shut up. We're not having it. We are. How do you know? I found out today. No, you didn't. I did. Seriously? Yeah. And that, folks, is how a gender reveal should go down. I know you can't see the video clip, but my husband, Chris, has a huge smile on his face. And after that, we celebrated and laughed. And yeah, it was good. Moving on. Ben's reaction was hardly excitement. He tried to act happy and calm, but I saw right through him. I knew he was freaking out. He immediately said that he should move back in. He immediately said, I want it's you to abort. No. I don't want this. Because in your chapter, you said that. No, not that day. It took oh. four weeks later. He then he said, me. "You what? He, yeah, he wanted to move Does back in. Does he know there's a window of time that you can have an abortion? Like, but you don't wait. You know what? Oh Writing this out makes sense to me, okay? Oh. Think about it. The first two babies, he had a hand, in my opinion, of making sure I didn't have those babies. Oh, yeah. So what better way to make sure that didn't happen other than uh, being with me at back of the house every night? The following week, he moved back into my home. I tried to start up conversations about the pregnancy and baby, but he would walk away from me or completely ignore me. He didn't want this baby, and it was very obvious. He refused to talk about it with me for several weeks, claiming that he needed to process the news more. My resentment towards Ben started increasing each day. This was the man who had begged to have me back, begged to get married, and begged me to have his child only a few months ago. Sure, it wasn't in the exact order it should be, but by his previous actions, you would think he would be lifting me into the air, swinging me around, chanting, we are gonna have a baby. But nope. Instead, he gave me the cold shoulder and he ignored me. After four weeks had passed, we finally sat down to discuss everything. Ben pretty much told me that he didn't feel like he was ready to be a father and he wanted me to abort the baby. I definitely let Ben know how I was feeling. I screamed and I yelled and I made sure he knew what a piece of shit I thought he was. All of his fake stories about wanting me to get pregnant right away with his child was complete bullshit. He had just said any and everything to try and win me back. It was all lies as usual. Shame on me for being so weak. I had put myself in this situation and now I was going to make decisions here on out as if I was a single woman. So I said to him, I'm keeping this baby, Ben, and if you don't want to be involved with this child, that's on you, but I've made my decision. Like, do you not really comprehend when you tell someone you want to be a parent and what that means? Like the responsibilities that come with that? I mean, it's crazy. After we had that talk, I think that's when I moved into the other bedroom. I was just so disgusted with him after what he did. He gave me just this huge facade of a story and then I'm pregnant. I have a life in me now and now you're telling me to go kill it. A person will never understand what it feels like to be so newly pregnant and already have such a strong bond with a tiny baby that's only the size of a sesame seed. But in that moment, I knew that I was going to keep this baby. I wanted nothing to do with Ben moving forward. And I asked Ben to move to the other bedroom. I couldn't stand the sight of him. He refused, so I went ahead and moved into the spare room. My bedroom furniture was much too heavy to move on my own, but I wasn't going to ask Ben for his help. Not now, not ever again. All I had was a full-size mattress lying on the ground in the spare bedroom. I didn't care though. I would rather sleep on a mattress on the floor than sleep next to that asshole. He did not give a shit. Even when I was right. huge and pregnant, I mean, I'm literally sleeping every night on a mattress on the floor. It is hard to get up and down. 
And I know it sounds crazy and I write in my chapter that I grow to love the room. I had a lock on my door so he couldn't come in and say anything to me. It was quiet. Lexi would come and sit on my little mat. Like I had my full on pillows everywhere and like I you know it was cute. Over the next few months, I devised a plan to get financially situated so I could kick Ben's ass out of my home. I started making more and more money, thankfully. I had a new client, he was pregnant as well. She was in a relationship with her longtime boyfriend who played for the Seattle Seahawks. As everyone knows, it's very common for the players to be transferred to other teams. So the girlfriends and the wives of the players definitely have to count on each other for recommendations for their service providers. My new client, Alicia, had received compliments from the other wives and girlfriends and was gracious enough to refer my services to them. Before I knew it, my schedule was filling up and I was adding an extra day. I kept that information to myself, of course, and I continued to stack my chips. My plan was to take maternity leave and then give Ben the boot. For now, I just needed to keep my head down and focus on the goal. Everybody goes like the same people, the same nail people, the same this, same that. And so they were not happy with this place they're all going to in Bellevue. And so once they saw lashes at some event, they were like, Hey, that's all awesome. Sudden, yeah. All of a sudden I was making amazing new friends and that were just a bunch of great women. And it kind of spread like wildfire and it got me booked and full and I started standing on my own two feet again. And so by the time she was born, I definitely could hold my own. One afternoon, Ben approached me with the information on the refi that was now available. I would have to refinance my current loan in a few years anyway, so I decided to look into it. Ben's big push was that we could save on paying a few months of mortgage while they were in the process of the refi. It was a lot of work to gather all the paperwork and information needed for a refi, and I was zapped on energy. I had so much on my plate already, so I told Ben that I wasn't going to apply for the HARP refi. Of course, Ben pestered me every day about doing the refi and told me how much we could both save monthly. After work one evening, Ben tells me that he found a mortgage company and he had spoke to them about the refi. He says that they were going to be calling me and that they crunched the numbers and I would save at least $600 a month. I was surprised that he was taking so much initiative. I still told him no because I did not have the time or energy to look into this company and check other mortgage companies comparing quotes. Instead of listening to me, he calls them on speakerphone and puts me on the spot. I end up talking to them and they sell me a convincing story about the new rate and how it's the same across the board no matter what lender you use. Between the mortgage broker and Ben, I was talked into starting the refi. After all the documents were turned in, they told me it would take a month or so to hear back from them and that there was a waiting process because everyone was trying to qualify for this miracle refi. The broker told me that my current mortgage account was on hold and so I wasn't to pay my mortgage until the new one was set up. I guess I was glad that Ben had talked me into this. I realized I could get rid of him sooner this way. I'd be able to save up my money even faster. One month mark had arrived and I had received a call from my mortgage broker telling me that everything looked great and we just needed to do the closing. I paid about $2,400 in closing costs. The next step was for me to sign a power of attorney document that would allow him to speak with my current lender on my behalf. The HARP loan was newly created and was very different from the other lending programs, so I wasn't familiar with all the details. I signed the document electronically and that was that. My broker said it would all be wrapped up in about two to four weeks. He again reminded me not to pay my previous lender. But within a few weeks, I started to receive multiple calls from the bank who serviced my mortgage loan. I immediately called my broker and told him. The calls continued even after I answered the call and told the bank that my mortgage broker had the authority to speak on my behalf and to please deal with him. That's when the banker told me that he couldn't find any notes on my account about my broker calling. Once again, I called my mortgage broker and he reassured me that this was all a part of their scare tactic. He said to just ignore the calls and not to intervene because it really could confuse the information that was being sorted by him and my bank. I hesitantly agreed. 
first, you know, the mortgage broker, he was on top of everything. I think he, it was legit. I later find out that their company got scammed. You know, all that happens, we're not able to get a hold of them and they're putting us off. The calls kept coming and Ben would tell me repeatedly, do not answer. After a few months of this, I decided to check in with my broker. He hadn't responded to my emails the past four weeks. Finally, I received a quick and short response with basically no information, except that it was still an underwriting and not to worry. He also explained that everyone was going through the same process and it was taking about four to six months to finalize. This loan was the first of its kind and so new that I couldn't even research much online to see if what he was saying was even true. At the four month mark, I decided to call my broker for an update this time. The phone rang and rang and rang. And then a recording came on telling me that the mailbox was full. I decided to email instead. No response still. Ben got home from work and I told him I felt like something was up. Ben tried calling from his phone, same thing. I emailed every two days or so and still no response. After another two weeks, I received a call from my original lender. I decided I was going to answer it. The woman goes on to tell me that my mortgage is five months behind and that I am seriously delinquent. She warns me that I'm going to be moving into pre-foreclosure if I don't pay the amount due in full within 30 days. I told her that I'd signed power of attorney to my mortgage broker who was negotiating the transfer of information and he was putting me into this heart program. She looked at my account and told me that no one has called at all to speak with them and that they had noted that they'd only spoken to me five months prior, and that was the last interaction that was made with anyone. Holy shit, what have I gotten myself into? It was a company that scammed people in California, Virginia, and Washington and Montana. So then a big civil suit was supposed to happen and all this. I was five months pregnant and about to lose my house. Ben tried to calm me down, but even Ben was pissed. I started bawling and he hugged me and he told me that everything was going to be okay and that he would never let my house be foreclosed on. He told me that we were going to drive there the following morning and talk to this guy face to face. The following day, that's exactly what we did. The company was only a few miles away. We got there, parked, and walked to the front door. It was locked. What the fuck, Ben said with his face pressed against the window peering in. Oh no, what, I said. The place is empty. It's completely fucking empty. The company is gone. I started to have an anxiety attack and I started feeling fuzzy and tingly all over. He started sobbing. Ben walked over and he wrapped his arms around me and he told me to take slow breaths and to calm down. He joked around with me about staying calm so that his baby boy was safe and healthy. I knew he was trying to be nice and talk me down from the panic attack I was having. Ben reassured me that no matter what, he would fix things. He admitted that this was all his fault and he should never have pressured me. Because your house went into foreclosure. I should back up and say that. Like, yeah, it was all a scam. They took our money, told us not to answer the phone, while the whole time they never communicated with them. So, so it was kind of not intentional on Ben's part. It was like a legit, he was trying to help you. You know, as you know, buying my house at 22 years old, I had good credit, clearly, right? My credit was tanked. So not only did Ben leave me in a situation where he wouldn't help me financially, he pressured me into doing this, physically calling them on the phone, pressuring me, they were tag teaming me, um, and he didn't want to help me or give me money, and I thought, fuck, I have to do it then because I'll have two months of not having to pay a mortgage, and he's not gonna help me, and so this is what I'm gonna have to do. I was, you know, using coins to pay for gas, right? Because of him, which he admits, and he's apologized for a long time like about it, but he completely ruined my credit. I couldn't even get 
anybody to give me a loan. I couldn't oh qualify for the most simple basic things. My car insurance went up. My life tanked more than anybody will ever know. I was up here and when I met Ben, I lost everything. My sense of self-worth, my credit, pretty much almost lost my house. Then we go there, he's like peering in the window and what I don't say, he goes back to the baseball bat and he just like fucks up the whole place. We actually had our ultrasound appointment scheduled the following day. Surprisingly, Ben said he would like to be there. That afternoon, we separately met at the doctor's office and went in together. The nurses and doctors were friendly and kind as always. We popped over to the ultrasound room and the technician began to do the examination and measurements of the baby. At the end, she asked if we wanted to know the sex of the baby. We both said yes. She tells us that we are having a baby girl. As soon as the word girl leaves her mouth, Ben stands up and he walks out. He looked heartbroken and devastated. He just left me there and got into his own vehicle and he went back to work. He didn't even say a word to me or even text me. I, of course, had plenty to say to him via text. Asshole. He just looks so devastated and annoyed and he just stands up and it's a dark room. It's a dark room, the lights are off so you can see the screen. And he just stands up, opens the door to the main hallway while I'm exposed. You know, my belly's exposed, everything, and he just leaves. Just leaves. Oh he was my just God. like, are you kidding me? You know, I was embarrassed. I'm like, yeah, he really wanted a boy and he only had a few more minutes. He had to get back to work. I remember when we were trying to have a baby because of your situation, I was like, I don't want a girl. Oh my God, I can't have a girl. I was, I had the biggest anxiety and I, even so far as to like, I feel terrible even saying this, but like, I remember looking into like gender selection when we were going through IVF. I was like, I got to make sure this is a boy because I don't want the same thing to happen to me. Um, especially if I have twins, like, you know, which is common with IVF. I'm like, at least one of them has to be, he'll die. If we have two girls, oh my God, I might as well just pack my bags. Like he's going to. And let's not forget out. his sperm decides what the yes. you know, chromosome blend or whatever. Like he decides whether it's going to be a yeah. boy or girl. My mind was once again refocused on getting my financial affairs in order and saying bye-bye to Ben once and for all. Ben did continue to try and figure out what to do about the mortgage scam. And during those last few months, Ben started to warm up to the fact that we were having a baby girl. He started suggesting baby names and talking about our future with her. I still knew what I was going to do after she was born, but for now, I couldn't handle any more drama. I was maxed out with stress and I was stuck in a situation that I had no other choice but to ride out a few more months. One month to go and baby Sydney would be here. One weekend, Ben had to leave town for a work conference in Las Vegas. It wasn't like we acted like a couple, so I didn't ask him too much about his trip except the dates that he would be gone. He was leaving so close to my due date, but I realized it really didn't matter to me whether he was even there or not. When he said goodbye, he spoke to my belly and he told Sydney to stay put and Daddy would be back in a few days. He kissed me goodbye and he left. I was excited for a weekend alone with Lexus. I even had my baby shower that following day. It was going to be a great weekend. That evening, I tucked Lexus into bed and I made my way to my mattress on the floor in the spare bedroom. I'd grown to love that little room. I had a sit-in bench window where I loved to sit and write songs or read. It was like my very own private oasis. It was free of Ben's belongings and stinky gym clothes. It smelled wonderfully girly and was nice, neat, and clean. What made me laugh so hard because only you and any other woman, <laughs> his gym clothes are the stinkiest, grossest, his feet, 
and his gym clothes. I don't know what kind of, uh, it is the stinkiest. We used to get in huge fights because he would come home and he'd sit on the couch with me and he'd take his shoes off and I'm like gagging, like, I, <laughs> I can't breathe. Like you gotta go clean your feet or change your socks or something. And his car, so how he all of his gym gross. clothes in his car. And it was just- So gross. I was going to turn it into a nursery as soon as I kicked Ben out, of course. Once I lay down, I fell asleep quickly. But around 3 a.m., I woke up to my phone ringing. Ben was calling me. I figured that he was calling me because he had just returned to his hotel room. I answer the phone and say, you missed me already, huh? There was no response. I say, hello, a handful of times and still nothing. I put the phone on speaker and I listen a bit longer. I realized that Ben had pocket dialed me. Then I hear his friend, who is definitely not a coworker, talking. What the fuck is going on? Next, two women are talking, and I get to hear the entire adventure of the four of them walking back to their hotel. My heart is pounding. What was I going to hear next? Ben starts flirting with one of the girls and is asking her to let him kiss her. He does, then his friend teases him about them holding hands. I might despise the shit out of Ben, but the pain I felt while listening to all of this was excruciating. Next, he walks into the hotel and he tries to get his keycard from the front reception desk. He claims he had lost his keycard during his evening out. I hear the hotel concierge look him up and tell him that he is not in the system. He then realizes his drunk ass is at the wrong hotel. They all laugh and the girls decide to go back to their own room. Ben goes out of his way, insisting that they walk the ladies all the way back to their hotel room. This is where the Pataiger came out as I was reading the chapter. Because I can relate, not that that happened, but just that feeling of like, it's all a lie. It's just, what the hell? And just, yeah. I could feel, because I know how much pain I felt when I found out everything. And so I can't imagine sitting on a phone, listening to it and having no control. Just sitting there letting it unfold and watching him or listening to him betray you like that. I know. I just kept so thinking, it's take... gonna cut out. It's gonna cut out. It's gonna cut out. He's gonna realize it. And at first I was going pressing on the buttons because I was like, hello, hello, beep, beep. Like trying yeah. to get his attention. I sit there sobbing. I should have hung up, but I couldn't force myself to do it. I wanted to hear it all. Maybe this is the way I would be even stronger when the day came that I had to kick Ben out. Once they arrive to the hotel room, Ben insists they come in for a drink. The girl Ben's been talking to pulls him aside and she tells him that her friend is not a fan of his friend and that she doesn't want them to come inside because of him. Ben still tries to make a move on her. He consistently flirts and tries to convince her to let him in. She shoots him down over and over. Finally, he gives up and walks away. And while Ben and his friend make their way back to their hotel, I got to hear Ben go on and on teasing his buddy about how he was going to fuck her, but that he had ruined it for him. I had finally heard enough. After three hours of torture, I finally hung up. And he's so hammered. He fall falls down in the lobby. I mean, I hear them go to McDonald's before that. I hear them walking three hours worth of him fucking around with this chick and all these pervy things. You drunk Howard? Yeah, how did you get to the wrong, um, really? Yeah, oh like, my how much God. You drink and don't use that as an excuse, you piece of shit. I decided to set a text before I went to sleep. I let him know that he should check his call log and see how he had pocket dialed me for three hours and that I had heard everything. I told him to rot in hell and he was a piece of shit. I barely slept a week after that. Two hours later, I was up getting breakfast for Lexus and then getting ready for my baby shower. I hated Ben. I mean, really, really hated Ben. There was a disconnect of emotions that day, and I stopped feeling sad from that day forward. 
Ben would get no more tears from me. I'm just embarrassed for him. Like, oh my gosh, he is doing anything and everything he can say to get in and push in through her door. And she's like, stop, stop, stop. Like, okay, I said no. And he's like, come on, you know you want me to. Just wondering, come on. Begging like a little pussy bitch. It's just, it was like, whoa, you are desperate right now. Ew, and I'm having your baby. Yeah. Gross. I was so disgusted. (laughs) So then they start walking away. Ben's telling us, you should, like, come on, man. You should try harder. Like, I was about to fuck her. At that point, I heard I've every heard single enough. thing. You need 100% solid yeah. proof. Because he talks way out of too. everything. Yep. Yeah. And I so, sat there for as long as I needed to. I to needed get- all the ammo I could get. Unless he met up with another person to bang. Like, that's the only thing that was going to happen. But I had had enough to where I didn't need any more proof. And now, your red flag, not so fun fact. There are so many red flags to go over in this episode, but I'm going to touch on narcissists or someone with cluster B personalities and toxic money habits. Dr. Romani is brilliant in this article. She just hits the nail on the heads. Let's talk about this a bit. She says that narcissists are one of the most challenging personalities to be around. And unfortunately, some of the most common narcissistic traits, grandiosity, superiority, entitlement, and a lack of empathy, have been on the rise in recent years. And even worse, these traits often go unnoticed or completely ignored. All right, so let's talk about these five toxic financial red flags. Number one, they're secretive about their finances. Well, they definitely keep you in the dark. They're really vague about their money situation, probably how much they make on their paycheck. They might not ever even let you see their paycheck. You'll notice that with narcissistic business partners as well. They're very secretive about what they're doing financially with portions of the business. Now, what to do if you don't feel confident about money matters, letting a partner handle it can be an appealing offer but it can lead to serious repercussions. Your credit score, for example, just like me, can lapse if the bills aren't being paid on time. So always be involved and be informed. Make a decision that you want to learn a little bit more about the finances of the house. And if you get any pushback, well, there's your red flag. Number two, they are only generous with money in public. To narcissists, spending large amounts of money on others can be a way to get people to like them. They may be stingy in private, for example, but cover dinner for colleagues or give gifts just for show. In my experience, I definitely remember Ben buying rounds of drinks. It's like, all right, everybody, round of drinks on me. And wow, Ben's so great. Now, what to do if you find yourself in the situation? Well, having a self-serving narcissist in your life can be mentally exhausting. To stay sane in this relationship, get comfortable working through your feelings in a journal or with a therapist. You might even find that the best solution is to set strict emotional boundaries or just exit the relationship altogether. Number three, they skip on the essentials. Narcissists can be grandiose when it comes to self-serving, unnecessary spending like buying designer watches they can't afford but then you'll see them skimp on essentials like 
food, health expenses, paying basic bills, or even just basic household items. And as a result, those in an intimate relationship with them may have to quietly save money so they can take care of themselves. This is what Dr. Romani calls the narcissistic survival skim, and she sees it all the time, she says. And as awful as it may be, it can feel much easier than having an argument with a narcissist. Now, if you find yourself in this situation, you'll see that given the narcissist's self-serving mindset, it's very difficult for them to even recognize or identify with the feelings and the needs of others. So if this dynamic is impacting your ability to put food on the table or effectively run a business, have an honest conversation with them. Then take a step back and reflect on whether the relationship is even worth holding on to. Number four, they are hypocritical. Most narcissists believe the rules do not apply to them, even though they are quick to enforce them on everyone else. And this goes for many types of rules, including budgets. A narcissistic partner may spend freely on themselves and regularly blow your joint budget, then turn around and criticize you for spending more than they deem necessary. Based on Dr. Romani's experience, calling a narcissist out is rarely productive. They will try to turn the focus to you, manipulate you, obviously. They're amazing at it. So you need to keep records of this inequitable or reckless spending in case you need that information for legal purposes down the road. And remember, you're entitled to your part of the budget. Number five, they are punitive with money. They often use money as a tool for punishment. They may reward you financially when you do what they want and then withhold money when they feel vindictive. This can feel unsafe, degrading, and confusing. For example, they may plan a luxurious vacation for your birthday and then after an argument will refuse to pay for essential expenses. You may even feel obligated to play their game just to keep the household or your business running. To handle this, you need to be prepared for this dynamic and have some funds set aside for basic expenses. Knowing it is likely to happen will help you come up with a strategy for managing or exiting the situation instead of feeling blindsided. For even more informative information, check out Dr. Ramani. She is fabulous. Next time on Ex-Wives Undercover. Ben obsessively calls and texts and messages me and even has his friend try to get a hold of me while he's in Vegas. He's crying, he's apologizing. Then approximately four weeks later, baby Sydney is born. A few interesting things happen at the hospital that day. A few months later, Ben sits me down to explain some things to me and tells me that he feels a darkness within. A crazy turn of events happen and we just might be talking about wedding bells coming up in this chapter. So make sure you come on back next Tuesday and listen to what goes down. You are are not going to want to miss this. And once again, if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a five-star review and make sure to join our private Facebook group for even more juicy info. You can also find us on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. And of course, you can always visit our site at www.xwivesundercover.com.